I went through a stage, I think like anything else, you, you want to get your big one. And uh, I went through and I, I've seen some, it seems April, April seems to be the month when the big, and they're always female, those big fish are female. I think the biggest I've caught was about one, just shy of 1.2 meters. And, uh, but you get some big ones, but I like the small ones. I, to be honest with you, if you catch a small male, half the size of a female, you, you're in for an energetic fight. Uh, for some reason, the males are just dessert. The single most important development in fly fishing over the years has been the move to fishing beyond boundaries. In today's episode, we chat to Jimmy the Sharkman Eagleton. Jimmy talks to us about his love affair with sand sharks, the DMA, and what to do when everyone around you is laughing their asses off at the trout fishermen in the surf. I'm your host, Gordon van der Spey. Don't panic, this is The Feather Mechanic. So you're locally known as Jimmy the Shark Man. How did that whole thing start, the whole thing with the sand sharks? I mean, how does someone even think about catching a sand shark on a fly rod? Yeah, I've kind of had enough of the bait thing, you know. I was catching odds and ends, and uh, I was walking on the flats at uh, Longabarn, and, uh, you know, innocently saw these sand sharks, and I thought, like, wow, you know, this is like this is like on TV, you know. Uh, catch one of these like they catch bonefish. Why not? And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I can tell you one thing. It, it was nothing like I expected it to be, you know, and that's kind of what I liked about it. I was, uh, for the first few years, I was foul looking these things like crazy, you know, and I, I just couldn't figure it out. And I just kept persisting. I think I gave up more than I, than I actually, actually tried, you know, every time I'm bored on a weekend, you know, we've got family house down there. So I'd go down and on a Saturday afternoon, you know, and, and try and see if I could catch one of these things. And it took me about four or five years of going through this whole learning curve, you know. I mean, those days I couldn't even cast properly. I was just, I was just using what was out there, you know, information. And uh, later on, as I progressed, you kind of like realize, listen, yeah, this, this, this is not like on the TVs, you know, this is a different thing. If you want to catch them, you need to kind of like look at where the problems are, you know, and uh, started eliminating the problems. So first of all, the first thing that happened was, you know, their mouths are far back. So if you use like a floating line and they know it's like walking into a glass door for them, you know, they, they bump into the line before they get to the fly kind of thing. And then I moved to intermediates and later on it progressed to, uh, to let go lines and short leaders, I mean, five foot leaders, so you can really get the fly in there. And then I started realizing that, I mean, this is, this, these fish are like, like a metal detector, you know, they come in when the, when the tide starts pushing and they've got this massive head and they just, it's like a sonar. They just come in on the, as the tide pushes in and they pick off food that they want, you know? And, uh, it's kind of where I realized maybe they don't need to see it, you know, and kind of like that opened up the door a bit. And then I think it was Corey Bruce that said, why don't you use circle hooks? And the sharks were pushing the fly over so the hook lies, you know, horizontal. And I put the outrigger system on. And uh, I still remember that day. I mean, I've, 
I've caught some spectacular fish on fly gear before, you know, not just average fish, but Dorado, tuna, everything. But I don't think anything has ever mattered a fish as mattered as much as the first sand shark I caught square in the mouth. You know, I still remember that like it was yesterday. I was uh, standing on a rock early in the morning. It was a misty morning. And there's one channel where they, I knew they were going to come in and, uh, I was just sitting, I mean, this is below your ankle water. I saw these two fins come out. It had a narrow channel to come in, so I just put the fly out there. And I twitched it, and this thing just went down on it. And uh, taking the advice of circle loops, you know, I didn't strike. It just kept stripping, and uh, this thing missed. The hook didn't find the corner of the mouth, and uh, it turned again. And I missed it again, and then it turned again, and then then I hooked it, and this thing took off, and in a way that they've never done before, you know, because if you foul hook them, they they but you know usually other fish if you foul hook them they they fight really hard, but with sand sharks it was different, you know they they don't fight at all. It's like a wet bag, and mm-hmm. this thing just took off. I was straight into my backing. I was like, and uh, I landed that fish, and I just sat on that rock, and I was just like, this is it. I figured it out, you know, all those years of hard work and struggling and, you know, throwing rods at the thing and, uh, you know, just all come together in that one day. And I I didn't even try and catch another one. I just sat there. I walked about three, four Ks to get to the spot and then caught that one fish, drank a cup of coffee, packed my rod up and went down because I knew this is it. I figured it out. There's more to come, you know, and, uh, and it was. If someone wanted to, to catch a sand shark on, on a fly rod, what advice would you give them? It's actually, it's pretty simple. I think uh, StreamX have got some flies. So what I usually do is, my approach now is, you know, to set up and gear, take a five weight, six weight, seven weight, a nine weight's a bit overkill, and uh, put a short leader on, let go line. I'm talking about four foot leader, 15 pound will do. And then you just get one of those sand shark flies at the shop and uh, just uh, tie yourself a tungsten bead in the loop, tie a Rapala knot, put a tungsten bead in the loop and uh, stay out of the water. That's the first thing I'd say, <laughs> you know. And uh, what you want to do is just you want the fish to cross you and you want to cross across, across from it. And you want to get the fly in front of him static. So if in short, you don't want him to know the fly is there. And as soon so as he, he basically swims over the fly, is that right? That's it. You put it in front of him, try and do it in a way that he doesn't know it's there. Okay. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of the trick. You're looking for a reaction bite. So he's just gonna be blase. You're looking for a reaction bite. And as soon as he goes over the fly, you just give it a twitch and a long drag, you know. that That's all you do. And don't strike. This thing will take off. Once it finds the corner, um, it'll take off. And that's it. And you just hold on. Uh, yeah, another thing I would say is don't cast. First cast your fly out and see how far you can see it. Because if you can't see your fly, you can't do anything. You know, that that's the main main thing. So I usually make my flies bright. No, skip on the flash and uh, just get it in in front of him and leave it static and let him swim over it. And just the nice, you'll see. 
Yeah, you'll see a reaction straight away. This thing will suck down on the bottom. It will, it will, it will want to, and it's a natural way for them to feed because if you think about it, they, I've seen them done some spectacular things. You know, I've seen them, I think it was Sean Mills who had one come up right to the top and chase a small popper, you know. Uh, but I've caught them on glouses midwater. But that, that's at night, you know. So, yeah, as a technique and a way to catch them, if I've got to say to someone, go out there, go and catch a sand shark, get yourself a five, six-weight rod, 15-pound leader, let go line, that sand shark fly with a, with a four beads uh, and uh, put a tungsten bead in there just to help you get down and cast, only cast as far as you can see the fly. If you can't see the fly, it's, it's not really worth doing because uh, you're not going to get it in the spot. So basically, you're saying you've got to be very quiet and very. I just stay out of the water. Period. I I just find they know you're there, and they they're not like other fish that uh, maybe they are. They don't they don't really spook and run, you know, run away. They'll actually come and check you out. What are you? You know, this thing. If you walk on the flats, and uh, let's say you walk at least a hundred meters, and you turned around, there's going to be one or two of them behind you checking you out, you know, who are you? What are you doing here? You know? So yeah, they, they quite inquisitive species, but uh, yeah, I don't get, I just find I don't do well when I'm in the water and they don't flee, but they know you're there. And uh, as soon as they see you also, your silhouette, you know, even if you're on land and you move too fast or anything, they just veer slightly out of, they just change directly direction by about, five or 10 or 15 degrees and they just go that little bit deeper and that means you can't see your fly so yeah there is uh you got to be stealthy with them what's the biggest one you've ever seen i've seen some big ones huh yeah it was uh one year i was i was in the beginning when i started you know when i started landing a lot of them and it became almost like a given you go out today you put the hours in on the right side you are going to get one two or three or four of them but uh i went through a stage i think like anything else you you want to get your big one and uh, i went through and i i've seen some it seems april april seems to be the month when the big and they're always female those big fish are female and uh they they come in that time of the month of the year, actually, in that uh, in that areas that I fish, and uh, I think the biggest I've caught was about one, just shy of one point two meters. And uh, but you get some big ones, but I like the small ones. I, to be honest with you, if you catch a small male, half the size of a female, you you're in for an energetic fight. Uh, for some reason, the males are just berserk. You know, hook this thing, they they just change direction <laughs> and they they just go berserk. The females are more. They use their weight and they're more sluggish and uh, they use their weight and they'll take off and they'll stay in the deep water, whereas the male goes left, right, in, out. I mean, this is all energetic movements that, that they're making, you know, so much more energetic, you know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, those big females are, I remember when I chased them, you know, it's it's uh, it's hard work. you gotta, you got to leave all the other ones alone, you know. You don't want to disturb that area, and then you start looking for these big females, and they've got this orange, almost like a like a khaki orange, and uh, you see it on the fins. And even if you can't see the fish or the complete dimensions of it, you know I've kind of keyed in on the color, and the, that's the color I'm looking for. And if I see that color, I know I'm on with a with a decent fish. And I mean, these things can disappear. 
you look at them and uh, you blink your eye, they're gone. What I like about what you're doing is you guys look at these fish that are that are like that some people view as impossible to catch. And you go and you logically go and work it out. It, there's, a, there's a process. There's a figuring it out process. Most people, we live in a world where people like are addicted to instant gratification. A person wants to pick up a fly rod and wants to be able to cast within 30 minutes. And that's like unrealistic. You've actually got to sit down and you've got to work things out. And that's what I like about what you guys do. It's not just about catching a fish. There's a journey involved, you know? You know, it's not what you think it is going to be. You know, flats fishing, sand sharks, I thought it was going to be floating lines, the prettiest fly I could tie and the longest leader, delicate presentations, you know? It isn't that. It's short cast, short leaders, let go line and flipping 15 centimeters of water. So I think that's what it makes it interesting. It, it, and, and I think that set the benchmark for me, you know, is, and especially chasing these other species, it's not always what you think it's going to be. So the journey takes a detour and uh, you're along for the ride. So you got to figure out what the problems are, I guess. In hindsight, you know, you've got to figure out what the problems is and figure out how you're going to do this. You know, some guys are blessed. They can read water. They can they can check the weather and they'll tell you this is it and all the science stuff, you know. But uh, I think uh, those things are not really important in, in the long run, you know. Yeah. I think if you're out there and, and, and just getting out there and, and targeting a species, just get out there and do it as much as you can and, and try and learn, you know, and yeah. try and get the floodgates open. Okay, in terms of of fly design for these sand sharks, because I've looked at those flies and they're very, they're not complicated, but they're unique. You, know, uh, you want it to be something. I want it to be pretty flies and, you know, but you got to, at one stage you got to go like, listen, this is what it is. It's uh, let go lines. Fish is not really gonna see the gonna see the fly. So so tie the fly not for the fish but for yourself. It's gotta be purely functional. Okay. That thing's gotta be bright, you know, in dirty water sometimes an olive uh, chartreuse works nice, sometimes a white works better, sometimes an orange works better, depending on your glasses, you know. So tie it for yourself. That's yeah. based on a quan fly and uh what I've done is, is literally it's just for instead of tying B chain out just one on each side, it's there's two on each side now. So you've taken a B chain of four and tied the hook in the middle. And then wrap chenille around it. And uh what you do is you cut the bottom nice and uh nice and flat, and then you palm with some uh hackle at the front and you fold it all up. And then almost like a weed cut and then tied down so all the feathers are, are sitting up, if it makes sense what I'm saying. Yeah. And uh, it's for you. Tie that fly for you where you're going to see it because it's not going to matter at all in, in the approach. I mean, some guys are catching these really on what the fish is seeing. You know, they, they, they do see very well. They've got a massive blind spot right in front of them, but they they can see pretty well, you know. So yeah, it's one thing you can do, but I don't I don't go for it. I think you you've got to 
put so many presentations in and look for the hungry one or one that's going to react aggressively. And, uh, you know, I don't want to fool around with, with pretty flies. I want something that works, basic colors, just narrow it down, simplify it, get in there and, and catch the fish. Why why four, four bath chains? Well, well, not four bath chains. Why four beads? Why two on each side? Um, mainly as for uh, it, in the in the beginning, I used to tie these. Uh, I used to palm a stiff rooster and just around it, and then cut the bottom off or fold some mylar around to push the top side of the hook flat. So when you when the and then put dumbbells in front of it, and when the fly lands, the hook is is up. But when you take the hook and you push it down, the resistance from the feather will on the side will act like outriggers and will push it back. So, whereas with a glazer or anything else, when you when the when the glazer falls on its side, it's just going to stay on its side, you know, and that's not kind of what you what you're trying to achieve. So, the bead chain is purely for that, and I kind of find that the the sound is quite. Uh, I think that vibration of the bead chain moving might also help with it. Um, it's definitely increased my uh, my uptake, you know, my takes on flies. I think that gives a little bit of a rattle. Because they do rattle. That's the thing. I mean, if you take bath chain and you shake it around, there definitely is some some rattle in there. Yeah, no, I, I, it's it's a double function. I wouldn't rely too heavily on that. I think uh, I think it acts as an outrigger system. That's okay. purely what it is there for. And they do rattle. They do make quite a disturbance, especially when you, you know, like other flies, you, you move, you push a lot of water. And with these things, you can't really push water. You, you're literally making short, short draws on the bottom. So, yeah, it, it does help. I've, I've, I'm a firm believer in it. I've, I've always used them since I started, and I've stuck to it. So talk to me about the West Coast cob fishing. The, you're fishing for gielback, am I right? Yeah, that, uh, that followed soon after, you know, I got a little bit bored with, with, the, with the sand sharks. Or not bored, I've just overdone it, you know, and I thought, like, maybe there's something else out there. And I think at that stage, Conrad was jumping on the scene with Feathers and Floro, and uh, he was writing about catching these cob. And that fascinated me because now there's someone out there taking on another species and saying he wants to catch a meter cob and just verbalizing what he what his ideals are and what he wants to do, you know. And I thought, like, well, that's brave, you know. And he designed flies and he started catching cob. And uh, I kind of liked it, and I thought, like, yeah, well, maybe I'm not that crazy, you know? Maybe I'm not the only one who can sit out there maybe one or two seasons catching nothing, trying to figure out a species, and uh, I thought, no, I'll give it a go. You know, I was trying different flies. I was getting stuck all the way, and uh, and that was the that was the origin of uh, the DMA. And DMA is not really the fly. It's more of a technique where you use the jig hook and you can bounce the bottom. So you cast out, you bounce this fly on the bottom. So the cop usually stays down. They come up, but majority of the time you'll catch them down at the bottom. 
and it just allowed you the opportunity to get into the zone to get to get your presentation right because you you're literally in their face then and i could detect whether i was on sand or whether i was on rock and i could fish the gullies efficient efficiently you know i could cast the fly onto a rock or i knew there was a rock with a gully in between me and the rock and then i could tap 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 the rock and then give it a count in between strips and then feel okay there's nothing and then i know i'm at the drop off and i just let the fly sink and then give it a good 10 counts and then start stripping again so it, it kind of in an abstract way you could kind of get the layout of where your fly is in the water you know so and then i started fishing for for cob purely and uh i think leonard fleming was the first one to say yeah but uh yeah, you'll definitely get a, a heel back. And I'm like, I think I told him, I said, yeah, you'll have to catch a lot of cob, you know. And uh, I always knew it was possible. I knew it was, I, I actually thought, you know, if I just keep doing what I'm doing, I'm going to get a heel back. And uh, and it happened. And it happened three years in a row, I think, that uh, I've target literally heel back. But cob is kind of like the... The, the the fallback species, you know, the strikes you get in between. So, yeah, that's good. I just want to put our international listeners into the picture. So a cob is, in Australia, they call them uh, Jewfish, am I right? Yeah. Uh, what I are think all in the Australia, names? yeah, Jewfish, Mulloway. I think there's a, the African and Mediterranean's got, a few species of their own, but I think in for Gielback, it's actually for international guys, it will be, uh, it's a salmon, but not in a true sense of a salmon. It's more closely related or closer to, in California, they get like a kelp salmon. It's very similar to what we call the Gielback or salmon in South Africa. It's, uh, it's a pelagic species. Uh, they do come inshore every now and again, you know, but it's, uh, they fight unbelievably hard. You know, it's a different fight than cob. It's, I always tell people, it's like, if I have to tell Australian what it fights like, I would tell him like, listen, yeah, this thing hits like a mulloway. It shakes his head like a mulloway and it runs like a yellowtail kingfish. You know, that's kind of how I would sum it up. They, they're just unbelievably good fighters. They, they really stop, shake their head, and then they take off. And then they'll stop, and then uh, they'll take off again. Okay, so let's talk. I want to talk about the DMA. What does DMA stand for? <laughs> I know what it stands for. I want to hear it you. No, so it's a little. <laughs> you, you know, on the West Coast, Gordon, uh, you know, it's 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 harsh country. You know, it's 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 dry, it's arid, and the people are also. I enjoy the people. It, it's fun people, but they're pretty much straightforward, thick skin, to be honest. And uh, you know, when I started getting out there and fishing for 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 cob and stuff, the guys were just. You know, they just give me horns all the way. You know, the banter never stops, you know. With the guys fishing like their soft plastics and bait, and you could never hear the end of it, you know. They're just like, you're like a soft target for them. And uh, I was taking quite a beating from the guys, you know, like comments like there's no 
there's no trout in the on this pond and uh you know it's freshwater stuff and uh yeah you've got to do fishing this is not artistry it's plain and simple and uh you know it's just taking banter and I, I i like it it's not it's not nice being on the receiving end of it but the guys are giving me horns you know and uh it just happened one day when I started fishing the DMA and I started catching and I was quite confident in it. The guys were fishing the soft plastics and uh, yeah, it was, uh, they keep on telling me, you got to try this. You got to, you're wasting your time with that and this. And uh, I was just taking knocks left, right and center from everyone. And once one guy, one guy starts with it, they all jump in. And uh, there were three guys there giving me horns all the way. And uh, I caught the first cop. Uh, I think I caught three right in, in quick succession after each other, right in front of them, right literally next to them. And, uh, you know, and, uh, I couldn't think of anything to say. And as soon as I walked back, you know, I had my fall. I thought, well, that's it. And I went like, uh, drop shot my ass. That's the only thing I could think of saying, <laughs> you know, like to insult him back, you know. And the, and the other guy was laughing. I mean, he was in stitches and, uh, yeah, that's where it comes from. It's just quite a golden moment for me, you know, one of those little revenge for all the banter I've taken, you know, just to rectify myself and put myself <laughs> say there is place for fly fishing, you know. What are you what are you currently fishing for? What's what's the species that's currently well that currently has your attention? Uh <laughs> Yeah, this is, uh, <laughs> you know, everybody, uh, I've I've got this, uh, I call it my kryptonite species, you know, Gary yeah. or Learfest. And I mean, that's where everybody starts in the salt. And it's like, uh, it's always followed me around. Everybody's got one. Everybody's landed a decent Gary. You know, we're talking about 70, 80 centimeter fish, a decent fish for a nine weight. Everybody's done it. And I've tried years and years and years and. I just saw last, I think it's two, three seasons, three seasons. Let's call it three. I've mm-hmm. made a conscious decision. Listen, yeah, this is going to be get, Garrick. I'm going to get this figured out and I'm going to do it, you know. And uh, yeah, I started off and I thought like, well, I can't really drive up to the breeder for a quick fishing trip. It's not, it's not going to work, you know. It's not, uh, it's not the way you're going to figure things out. You're going to spend a lot of time on the road, so... Yeah, I started at Blake's Blake's Beach here in False Bay in South Africa, Cape Town. I did a bit of work there. Soon uh, started realizing I'm getting a lot of uh, a lot of small fish. You know, you were catching small fish, small fish, small fish, and that was not kind of the goal. I wanted to find a way where I can say, okay, listen, I'm going to target big fish. I'm going to catch big fish. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to do like sea run or maybe lagoon, lagoon fish that come in from the sea. And uh, yeah, I went on and on the west coast, I started fishing a bit for them. And I didn't even realize it, but they were right under our noses, you know. It was a collaboration with a friend fishing that area. And uh, he told me he saw some flashes. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen some flashes there. And uh, but I don't. I think it's elf. You know, it's uh, it's uh, shad or bluefish. It wouldn't be Garrick. And sure as God, it was Garrick. So <laughs> I started throwing like everybody else, going baseline poppers and glouses. And I've been chucking glouses there for many years before. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, year after year, put our Xenon glasses and uh, nothing. I think in all the years I've only had one take on a popper or even a mm -hmm. look in that area. And uh, I was like, you know, I can't do this. This is, this is hard work. You know, working poppers is not really what I was aiming for because that popper, you, it's hard work, you know. Mm -hmm. I was looking for more lazy approach, slow, steady. You can spend the whole day out there. You can get in there before the sunrise and you'll be done with the day when it's done, you know. And maybe mm -hmm. some and cop fishing at night. But, uh, yeah, and then I discovered a fly. Uh, I was looking at a fly. I think it's Charlie's Airhead, if I can say that. I think he's, it's the same guy that designed the pole dancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I've got to be careful. He's got patencies on flies, so <laughs> don't want to get sued yet. No, I didn't want to. Didn't want to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. But I definitely wanted to make a low profile out of it, you know. And if I can't, I wanted to do it a little bit better, you know, weight wise, getting the fly to move. And I've learned quite a lot, and it's 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 been quite a joy working these things out. Frustrating most of the time. But it's been good fun, and I've got about three, three or four ways I can tie them now, you know, dependent and mm -hmm. uh, silicone. This fly is just the, the dynamics on this fly is amazing. It's it's got a silicone head, so it's a so it's a hollow head, and uh, the feathers at the back. It's like a surf candy that's hollow. If I can explain it to someone like that, and what happens is you get the weight of the water in the head that gets stuck there when you strip the fly, and that causes inertia. And uh, the momentum pushes back on your leader line, and that causes the fly to kink left or right during the spores of the retrieve. So if you get your strip right, you can literally walk the dog. You can, you can get this fly to go left, right, left, right, left, right. Okay, one more thing I want to talk to you about. Let's talk silicone. I mean, I was fixing my shower the other day. Silicone is fantastic stuff. Just give us a couple of tips to working with silicone. A lot of people put on their head, they start shaping, they put silicone on and they try and move that silicone on that head. You know, you can't get it off. And the best advice I can give someone is put a thin layer, get your shape right, and then uh, put the silicone at the back of the hoop on their head and then move forward towards their head. Mm -hmm. And... Wipe the excess off. I should actually do a video if people can see it. It's it's pretty simple and straightforward, and you don't need to be really good at silicone work for that matter to get it right and just cut it off. It's a simple way of doing it. And there's some guys out there that does some phenomenal work with silicone. They've just got a feel for it. I'm not one of those. Uh, I just stick it on, put a massive blob on it, rub it all forward to the eye of the hook, and then just use my thread, cut the eye open, cut the excess off front, on, the, on the hook of the eye and then uh, just clean, clean the eye up with, uh, with a paper, paper towel and, and just wind it up and push it through the hole and, and clear the hole. So pretty simple way of doing it. Listen, yeah, it's been so nice chatting to you. What I yeah, actually man. Want to, you know what I want to do? I want to come fishing with you. Can I come fishing with you at some stage? Anytime, any, anytime. I'll take you to... We've been talking about this for yonks. I'm going to make a mission this year. This season, I'm going to put you into a decent-sized Gary. I mean decent. You're going to have 
some backing running off your reel. It's going to be a hard casting, and I'll take you for a sand shark. It's definitely a sand spot. Tell you some. I've got a, I've got a few secret, not secret, but I've got. I mean, I've been nailing them there. Literally, like decent fish, just catching them. And there's a few things I do. Is if the guys are spinning off the rocks there, you go stand next to them because they they really excite those fish. And you just put a slow, and it's not this hectic stripping at all it's literally just it's a it's a slow steady strip that's all it is and you'll get fish and you'll get decent fish uh usually above 50 centimeters that's what i get uh it's brilliant 